And so I would like just to start off by reading uh, this part of chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? Later on in the chapter, uh, we we learn that wisdom is understanding. Wisdom says, I am understanding. Uh, I think we have the slide for you there. But uh, does not wisdom cry out? Nope, that's a whole lot of other slides. (laughs) Chapter 8. Uh, that's it's like 275 weeks worth of um, chapter eight, verse one. Uh, if we don't have it, it's all right. I'll just I'll just preach on. You all didn't bring your Bible because you're not saved, but you're gonna you're gonna get saved today. Um, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the hill beside the way where the paths meet. There it is. Beside the way where the paths meet. Notice, notice where wisdom is standing. She is, number one, she's crying out, but she's taking her stand on top of the hill beside the way where the paths meet. Wisdom will always confront you when you're at a crossroad. The wisdom of God calls out to us when we are at a place where the paths meet. God does not want you to make important decisions on your own. God does not want you to live your life to yourself. Rather, wisdom is calling out. Wisdom is offering offering uh, uh, knowledge and counsel and wealth at the place where the paths meet. This is where she sets up shop. She is, she is on top of the hill where everybody can see her. She's beside the way right there as you're walking along where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city and at the entrance of the doors. Now, uh, ancient cities were basically walled. They would typically build them on top of a hill because the primary concern was security. And so if you're on top of a hill, it's easier to defend the city from, from, from oncoming uh, invaders. But also, they built a huge wall around it really to protect the city from a hostile environment. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Uh, whatever might be out there, including bandits, including bad guys, but also just, just nature, trying to, trying to keep the wolves out and the coyotes and all that kind of thing. So they would build this big wall around, be on top of the city, and this is where wisdom hangs out. Notice wisdom hangs out on the outside of the city. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but she's right there. Now, the city is a place... Uh, ancient cities were basically the, the, the center or the hub of life. So you had your home in the city. Uh, it was inside the wall. Your house was inside the wall. Uh, the marketplace was inside the wall. So you did your work. You did your business. You did your trading. You did your buying and your selling inside the city. You, the, you would also have some kind of temple. Um, if it was a, if it was a, a, a Jewish city, there, 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 there would be a place of worship to Jehovah. But really, regardless, I mean, a, a pagan cities would have their temples to their gods. It was also a place of worship. And so the city represents really just the hub of life, the hub of activity. I find it interesting that wisdom does does not go into the city. She stays on the outside of the city and she calls out to people who are coming into the city. And I, I think that's because wisdom in God will often, he, he won't interrupt the busyness of your life. Like he won't, he, she's, she's not yelling out to people who are running back and forth and trying to, try, trying to go home and cook dinner and then trying to meet up with so-and-so and then trying to go buy that and then we got to go here. She's not yelling out trying to interrupt the busyness of their life. She has positioned herself outside of the city where it's quiet, where it's calm. This is where God will meet you. Oftentimes we don't hear from God, we don't hear from wisdom because we don't ever slow down long enough. 
we, our, our, our schedules are too jam-packed. Our, our lives are too uh, scheduled in each thing after another. And, and, and especially, and it just, it just gets worse. Like it starts off when you're a teenager and it just progressively gets crazier, right? And then you're in college and then, and then you get married and then you have kids. And then culture tells you that your kids have to be involved in like 40 million activities every weekend. And so you're running them from this to that because God forbid they get bored. Um, <laughs> Because that's like the, the worst thing, right? You're an awful parent if your kids are bored. And um, social media tells us this, and, 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 and I think Oprah mentioned it one time. And, you know, like, I mean, this is generally the consensus. Kids should not be bored. They should be, they should be entertained and, and, and trained and taught, and you should sit down and do puzzles with them, you know. And so all this kind of stuff all the time because they cannot ever be bored. And so when my kid comes and tells me, when Micah says, Dad, I'm bored, I'm saying, like, it's good for you to be bored. It's good. It's good because when I was bored as a kid, that's when I learned how to do something for myself. Come on, somebody. Anyway, it's not like you drop your kids off in the middle of the forest and leave them there for a week. I'm not suggesting that. But, it's, but a little bit of boredom can be good every once in a while. Moving, moving stuff off the schedule, moving stuff. I mean, like kids go to school and then they have so much homework that they, the, so they don't have any time to do anything or just be. And so we, we, we often schedule our lives like this and we have this fast pace. And, and you even like take a drive down to Mexico and it's way different. Right? Like we do, we go on a mission trips in Mexico and it's like it's noon and so we're taking a siesta, you know? This is just, just a siesta? Why? Oh, because it's noon. So we take a siesta. Okay, cool. We're going to take a two hour break because it's hot in the middle of the day. We're just going to chill. I mean, like they have church, right? They say they're starting at six o'clock. That does not mean they're starting at six o'clock. That means. That mean, I, I don't even know why they say six o'clock, but they say six o'clock and like you literally start around eight or nine o'clock because you're just waiting for people to come in. Right. And um, we do things a little differently here. We say 10 a.m. and then we actually start at 10 a.m. Some of you don't know that, but th- that's actually what we do. We start at 10 a.m. and uh, I'm here, Emilio's here, T-Bear's here, and we, we just win. No, I mean, it's great. It's awesome. And uh, you ought to join us sometime. It's a good time. Uh, but <laughs> And see, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to make everybody mad. But this is, this is what we do. We, you know, like it's a totally different culture because in our culture, it's like the schedule is king and the clock is king. And, and this thing has to happen at that time and that has to happen at that time. And it's not always healthy. It can be quite productive, but it's not always, doesn't always lead to happiness. In fact, it often leads to busyness. and We don't hear God. We don't hear wisdom because we don't have space. We don't take time to pray in the morning because we're trying to get enough sleep. So we stayed up so late. And, and you know, we, we, our lives, we have no margin. So everything's so tightly packed. But wisdom, if you want to hear from wisdom, you have to set aside time. And that's why Sunday is a, 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 a time of worship because it is a time that we set aside. And we say, look, we're not going to focus on schedules. We're not going to focus on being productive or doing all these things. Instead, we're just coming to hear from God. And if you wonder why God speaks to you at church, that's why. It's not because church has some special thing, and so, but no, no, no. God's speaking to you because you're taking time out and you're focusing on him. What if you did this like, I don't know, on Monday as well? You know, then Tuesday and Wednesday, I mean... It would be amazing the results you would see if you would even not, maybe, maybe not a whole hour and a half, but, you know, just like 10 minutes. Wisdom is calling out, but she's outside of the city. 
if you're not hearing her voice, just step outside of the city for just a minute. And she calls out. She says, to you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men. Oh, you simple ones. These are the two people she's talking to. You simple ones. I want you to understand prudence. We'll get to that next week. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Now, my purpose of preaching through Proverbs and looking at these three individuals is not uh, to beat up on anybody or offend people. I I was kind of joking about that. Um, My purpose is to show how there are elements of the, all of these individuals, the, the scorner, the fool, and the simple, inside of all of us. And we're not singling out any one person or any one candidate, uh, political, you know, or any one job or anything. We're, we're not trying to single out anything, but the truth is all of us have elements of these characters inside of us. And it's interesting because Scripture, you know, says, says fool. says, all you fools be, in a, be of an understanding heart. And we don't generally understand that phrase because in our culture, you know, a fool is kind of like an idiot. It's kind of like a stupid person. It's a, you know, it's, it's somebody that you pity, right? I pity, I pity the fool who tries to take what I got. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's somebody, you know, they're, like they're, they, they're, they're just ignorant. They obviously don't know much, and they're just a fool. And so you pity the fool. That's what you do. It's, it, it, but, 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 in, but when the Bible talks about a fool, it's, it's quite different. It's quite different. In fact, the word fool, and, 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 and you see, be of an understanding heart, these things really connect with each other because the word fool means, well, it, it comes from a root word, which, by the way, this word fool is mentioned 42 times in the book of Proverbs. It's obviously a big deal. Wisdom is constantly calling out to the fool and talking about the fool. And, and, uh, and, and so you need to understand 42 times this particular word of fool is used. And the word comes from a word which means and this is once again offensive, so don't look around at anybody when I, when I say this, but <laughs> this is just the Hebrew, okay? They, they just tell it like it is. Uh, it means fat. See? I mean, this is not a good time to go get donut or anything like that. It's just, it's just don't do that. It means fat. It means fat means obese, or as we would say, like the PC version is morbidly obese, which still sounds really bad. Um, it, means, it, means, it means fat, but it doesn't mean fat uh, in your body. Even though I do believe that, that when you are fat in your body, it does have health effects. And so that's why we got small groups going on, staying fit through the summer and doing all sorts of stuff. And I'm really proud of the people who are out there sweating. I'm with you in spirit. Because um, <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, so, but, but, this, but this is what it means. It means to be fat, not, not, not necessarily in your body, although there are health um, problems with, with, with overweight and obesity in your body, but, but the worst kind of obesity is not physical obesity. The worst kind of obesity is obesity in your spirit. That's what it means. It means to be fat in your heart. And specifically, uh, the Hebrew has a connotation that this idea of fatness in your heart is not... Uh, there, there's a lot of things that contribute to obesity um, in our day, uh, some of it genetically, some of it uh, uh, exercise, some of it food, diet, things like that. But, but, but the, the word for, for, for the fool is fat in the heart specifically because of a lack of activity. Specifically because of a lack of activity. And so that's why wisdom says, you fools, I want you to be of an understanding heart. And the word understanding means to discern. It also means to be quick. It means to be fit. She's basically saying, I want you to be fit on the inside. I'm not concerned about what your body looks like necessarily. I'm speaking to the heart. 
Because the most dangerous kind of obesity is the obesity of the soul, the obesity of the heart, the inside, the interior life. And she says, I want your heart to be fit. I want your spirit to be fit. I want your, I want your uh, uh, heart to be active and to be moving and to be burning off uh, the fat that is, that is weighing it down and dragging it down and keeping it from, from, from moving forward. I want you to be of an understanding heart. And this is what it means to, to be a fool. There's, there, there are some scriptures here that would, that would help you understand what it means. Because our, our, our culture takes more of a, a vain approach to, to obesity. And so it's often based on how you look. And, and, and I don't think that's, that's, that's good. And so whenever scripture is talking about the obesity of the heart, this is, this is what it's talking about. Proverbs 15.4 um, is a, a scripture about the fool. It says the heart of him... Uh, 15, 14 says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools uh, feeds on foolishness. The mouth of fools feed. I think we have that slide somewhere that, that we were showing it before. The heart of him who, under, who, who has understanding, the heart that is active, the heart that is uh, staying in shape, that is hungry for knowledge. But the mouth of fools is hungry for more foolishness. So you are what you eat physically, but also spiritually. What you consume in your mind, what you consume in your ears, what you are seeking to hear and to see is, is a reflection of what you end up becoming. And so, so the fool is hungry, yeah, but for spiritual junk food. <laughs> like, she only, like the fool only eats Snickers, you know, and uh, spiritual Snickers and, and uh, drinks spiritual soda because, because the fool is after those things which will, not, which will not help it be healthy. The fool is not eating for health's sake. It's not trying to understand. It's not looking for knowledge. It's looking for more foolishness. And this is what they desire. This is, you can tell, if you have some foolishness inside of you if, you would, if you would rather hear somebody share your opinion rather than share any kind of truth about the situation. If you're just looking for what's already inside of you, confirmation of what you already think, then you have some foolish, foolishness inside of you. And this is the fool. He's hungry for what he already is, for what he already has. He wants more of what he already has. He's not looking for a new point of view or a different perspective or somebody else's um, ideas or, or truth. He's looking for foolishness. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding. He doesn't even like the taste of healthy thoughts. And I can associate with this because healthy food is just, you know, not tasty to me. I grew up on like mac and cheese and hot dogs, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so like that's, that's, that's how I roll. So when my kids are hungry, we get mac and cheese and hot dogs because that's what I know how to make. And that's what I actually like eating. Just last night, I, you know, I was, it was, it was 1130 at night and Sonic was still open. So I got some mozzarella cheese sticks with some ranch dressing and a small shake. You know what I'm saying? So it's cheap. It tastes good. I don't even like the taste of healthy stuff. And this is something Rose trying to convert me and make me not a fool. Um, in regards to physical eating. Um, but this is, this is, this is the picture of the spiritual Person. This is a picture of the inside of the fool. The fool doesn't even like the taste of good counsel. That doesn't even sound good. That doesn't, I don't even like the taste of that. He has no delight in understanding, but rather just wants to express himself. He just wants to tell you how he feels and how he thinks, and he's just sharing and sharing and never receiving. We talked about that last week. Proverbs 14, 16 says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. 
Self-confidence is another aspect of a fool. Because uh, with, with, with a lack of knowledge, with a lack of openness to other uh, knowledge that maybe you don't know, the, the, the problem that happens is you become prideful because you know all that you know, therefore you know everything. <laughs> and so pride can really creep in and self-confidence, uh, self-confidence can really creep in. I, I forget who it was who said, uh, who said nobody really has a clear conscience, it's just some people um, have a bad memory. I can't remember who said that. Somebody said that one time. And I, and, and I, and I really think it's true. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit questionable of people who are super self-confident because I think if you're super self-confident, you're not necessarily super self-aware. Uh, there takes, there takes some, some blinders that you have to put on yourself in order to really be you know, super confident in yourself. Uh, I think self-confidence has a certain value, but the greater value is God confidence. You can, you, can, you, you can always tell there's, there's some foolishness in your heart whenever you are comfortable leaning on yourself, whenever you're comfortable deciding and figuring things out in your own mind and in your own strategy when you're self-confident. And it's interesting that, that wisdom is standing outside of the city. I, 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 I talked about that a minute ago. She's standing outside of the city, and she's talking to people as they come into the city. And as I was doing some research on ancient cities, uh, it was interesting to find that the first ancient cities believed to have been built around 6,000 B.C., and uh, I think it was called Uruk, and it was uh, a great city. And it basically, our archaeologists just believe that, that people came together and said, look, we want to protect ourselves from the elements out there, so we're going to come together, pool our resources, build a wall, and keep um, people and animals and things out. So, like, that's what we're going to do, we're keep things out. But the problem is, uh, many of the early cities, many of the first cities, they lasted for centuries, but eventually arche archaeologists believe that they were simply deserted. Like they weren't overcome by another city. They weren't, they weren't taken out by bandits or by Godzilla. They were just, they were just abandoned. Just, people just left the city. And so, so there's been a lot of speculation. Why in the world these huge cities, I mean 60,000 people, which in those days was, was a huge number of people, would live inside of these cities. And then at some given point, they just walk out. They just leave. And the, 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 the primary thesis that's been put forth is that the cities, although they were great and they were safe, they were not, uh, they, they, they were not um, workable for the future. They weren't sustainable. They were safe, but they weren't sustainable. Because the city had tried to cut itself off from all the stuff it didn't want. But the problem is, the stuff it didn't, they needed the stuff they didn't want. So, so a city needs food, right? And so they would have crops and stuff outside of the city. Well, the problem is when the city got to be so big, they, they would, they would overuse, overconsume the crops, and so the crops would end up stopping their production, and then they were out of food. Same thing with water. The city would grow so large and so big that they would, they would, they would basically try to be so self-reliant that they cut off everything from outside of them. And this is something that a fool does. A fool gets so self-confident and so self-reliant that he forgets that God is his source. He forgets that, that the thing that's keeping him alive is not his wall, is not his ability to block out what he doesn't like, but he needs, he, he needs to live in a symbiotic relationship with his environment. 
He doesn't do that. He cuts himself off. He walls himself off. And the very thing that he's trying to keep out of his life is actually the very thing that God's trying to send into his life to help him, to feed him, to sustain him. There's got to be some sustainability to your life. There has to be some sustainability to your life. And, and there has to be some sustainability to your marriage. There has to be some sustainability. You can't make 100 withdrawals and only one deposit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Okay, it's just true. You just can't do it. I mean, you can, but you're going to go bankrupt in your marriage, and um, your spouse is going to walk out, and you're going to left, be left wondering what in the world happened. Well, you kept withdrawing. You never deposited. That's what happened, you know? Well, you know, and, 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 and you, you, you cannot, like, like a fool only sees the present right here and right now. And so for right here and right now, there wasn't this big blow up. There wasn't this big repercussion. There wasn't anything major. And so I guess it must be okay. But what they don't understand is that they're draining the resources that God has put in their life. And they're using them up. And eventually, they live in an unsustainable way. You have, to, you, have to, you have to live in a sustainable way, of course, with any kind of diet. You, you, your, your, your eating has to be sustainable. Your, your, your lifestyle, has to, your, your schedule has to be sustainable. Uh, you can go, you can work, you know, like crazy for maybe a year or two, but then you're going to start breaking down. You have to learn to have a rhythm to your life, some sustainability to your life. Otherwise, you'll become a fool, and you'll go into the city, and you'll buy the concept of the city, and a pr- protectionist uh, uh, attitude leads to an isolationist attitude. And the very people that God intended to help you and to bring a different perspective into your life are the very people that you've judged and you've cut them out of your life. And then you're left on your own. Self-confidence and self-reliance always leads to destruction. These fools, this is what they are. The next... The next, the next passage of fools, I have a, a, a whole, whole bunch of other scriptures here. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32 says uh, that it's the turning away of the simple that will slay them and the complacency of fools. The other part of being foolish is, of, of course, being self-reliant and not desiring wisdom, not desiring anything from God. But the other part is to uh, be lazy. There's a laziness associated with this word. It's complacent. Proverbs 13, 19 says, A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. Desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but there's, there's going to be some time between the desire and the accomplishment, and this is where the fool gets tripped up. For the fool to depart from evil, for the fool to, for the fool to desire something good, yeah, sure, fine, but then, oh, wait, i got to let this go in order to get that? No, I don't think I can do that. It's an abomination to release evil out of his life. It's an abomination to a fool. It's like, it's like that's, 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 that's awful. Like, why would you say that? Like, you, you must be an idiot. How, how would you expect me to get rid of that and lay that down? I can't lay that down. And, and, but, but what Scripture says is actually that it's a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. That when you, when you build something long-term, when you have a long-term goal and you accomplish it, it's, it's awesome. But a fool never realizes that. Because he always finds that he cannot walk away from who he has been. Proverbs 17, 24 says, Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. He's diffused. He can't focus on anything. He's looking all over the place. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So next time somebody tells you they're just going to follow their heart, just quote that scripture. It's a good time. <laughs> In fact, Jesus came along and said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You better not, better not trust your own heart. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. 
Proverbs 26, 15, uh, basically the whole Proverbs chapter 26 is, is a lot of, about the fool. There's several references to the fool. And right in the middle of it, he starts talking about the lazy man, because so, there's a big connection between the fool and the lazy man. He says, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, but it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. I want to talk to you about this picture that Proverbs is painting. With lazy man burying his hand in the bowl, but he's, at that point, he's too tired to put it in his mouth. Now, oftentimes in America, we think of lazy people as people who just either don't work or don't do anything. They sit on a couch all day, potato chips and remote control. They, they just don't do anything. But that's actually not a biblical version of laziness. So this is great. We're giving you a biblical version of obesity, spiritual obesity, and then some spiritual laziness. This is, this is, this is, for, uh, this is for our culture, so you can understand. It's not that lazy people in Scripture do nothing. In fact, if you look at this passage that the lazy man buries his hand in his bowl, that means there's food in the bowl. Now, in our day, we, uh, we just go to you know, Sonic and we get some food or we go to McDonald's or, or, we, or, or we go to a grocery store if we're really healthy or we go to Whole Foods if we're rogue. And uh, we get, you know, uh, overpriced food that um, it doesn't have GMOs in it, though. So that, that's cool. And, uh, you know, and see, we, 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 we get a bunch of stuff. We just go buy it. It's already been harvested. The grain's already been harvested. In fact, the bread's already been made. We buy the bread in a bag and bring it home. And so we go, and, and, and so it's for us to eat something or to put something at our table, put our hand in the bowl, it's not that huge of a process. But you have to understand that in these days, right, like in these days, for, in order for this lazy, lazy person, in order for this fool to actually have a bowl of food sitting in front of him, he would have had to harvest the grain. Well, he would have had to sow the, 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 the wheat and then, and, then, and then grow it and then, and then you know, cut it down and then break off all the chaff and then, and, and, and then get the kernels and then grind the kernels down into, into a fine flour, right? So this is days of work. You have to start a fire and they didn't have matches back in those days. So you get the whole twig thing going and you get the fire going, you get the oven going, you, you, you mash down and then you make your own bread with that flour, with water and there's one other ingredient because there's oil, okay? So you see, dump some oil in there, which by the way, you would have had to buy the oil or grow your own olives and crush them in order to get them. I mean, this is a long process here that this supposed lazy man had to do. He did a lot of work to get to this point, to set up his table, have a bowl, have a soup, usually is what they would be eating with some bread, and they would use the bread to dip into the soup and because they didn't have spoons, and so they would, they, they would sop it out that way. So that's why he's got his hand in the bowl, because he's, he's made his bread, he's made his soup, which is a whole nother ordeal, and he's got the table set. He takes the bread, picks it up, puts it in, and that's where he stops. This is not somebody who's not ready to work hard. This person's working hard. They've worked hard all day, multiple days, actually probably months in order to get to this place, to have a harvest, to have grain, to be able to make the bread, to be able to present everything at the table. He has worked so hard. But now he's done 95% of the work and the last 5%, he's weary. This is heart of a fool, that a fool, as long as they're excited about something, will work hard at it. As long as they're pumped up about it, they'll work hard at it. And as long as it fits in their schedule, they'll be working hard at it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And doing it. But, but, but they're 95% done. And then the last 5%, all the work of 95% hits them. And they're like, man, I still haven't eaten anything. I've done all this work and I still haven't eaten anything. 
I better just quit. And this is why constantly wisdom is saying, I want you, speaking to the fools, be diligent. Because if you're going to overcome your foolishness in your heart, it's going to take some diligence in your life. People, people who, uh, when, when, we, when we bought our house from the guy that we bought our house from, he uh, told us, he's like, I like to do things 90% of the way. And so I started that project, didn't finish it, and started all that kind of thing. And uh, I kind of thought, yeah, that's kind of like a lazy person in Proverbs. Um, but I didn't say that because that would have been judgmental to say. And so I just thought it. And uh, I thought, okay. <laughs> it's called wisdom. You think it, you don't say it. Um, and it just, just hit me because this guy was a hard worker working really, really hard, but he didn't really finish stuff. And as we've moved into the house, we've noticed that if you do 90% of hanging, uh, let's see, what, what was that? It was a, it was a um, what's that called? The, the thing that he hung and what? The cabinets, the cabinets. Yeah, yeah, there's several things. But if you do 90% of hanging cabinets and like you don't screw in the last few screws, and then you put dishes inside of those cabinets and blankets and, and things, and then and it, it will fall off the wall over time. It's what will happen. We've found that out. 90% of cabinet hanging is about like 0% of cabinet hanging. It doesn't, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. There's, but he did all the hard stuff. He did all the hard stuff. He's fired up about it. But the, it was the easy bit putting those last few screws into studs. Apparently, it was really difficult. And so it just fell out. He got distracted. And this is, what, this, is, this is where the heart of the fool is. Not that he's not ready to work hard, but it's that he gets weary and then he gets distracted and then he moves on to something else. So distraction will always steal the fruit of everything you've worked for. I've seen people so many times, they're on fire, they're going, they're committed, they, 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 they're ready to give up and give up stuff and do stuff, but then they get distracted from that, and then they move on to something else, and then they're working hard at that, and then they get distracted. And what happens is they become so weary because they feel like they're always working and never seeing results. And they are <laughs> always working and never seeing. They're not lazy in our modern terms, but they're lazy in the biblical term because, because diligence is not just the willingness to work hard, but it's the willingness to work as hard as you need to for as long as you need to until you see results. And so in your walk with God, in your marriage, in your, in, in your parenting, your kids, why, why don't you not give up the first time things go bad? Why don't you not get distracted the first time you start to get weary? Why don't you just keep going? Why don't you just keep pushing until you see the results? Uh, there's, a, there's, there's, there's something called a commander's intent. And if you're on staff here, you would have heard me talk about this a lot. But uh, in the military, there's, there's several different um, commands being issued all the time. And, and typically it comes down from the top, especially you know, high-profile missions. So the president, the commander-in-chief will, will say, I want to do this. And uh, just, just, for, just for illustration's sake, let's, let's just say that you have a, a, a platoon number one, right? Platoon number one has supplies. Platoon number one needs to get supplies through the valley over here to platoon number two. They need to get supplies to the valley. Well, the problem is there's an enemy up here on the hill. There's, 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 there's a, a bunch of enemies up there on the hill, not sure how many. They have firepower. And so platoon number one is going to get slaughtered if they go through the valley. So what, so what, so what, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, we're going to get platoon number three. Platoon number three is going to come over here, and they're going to engage the enemy on the hill. 
right? And so when the commander, uh, right on down to the corporals and everything, when they talk to platoon number three, they say, this is your mission. You have to defeat the enemy on the hill. This is what you're going for. Because, but then they'll always have a commander's intent. And the commander's intent is always typed in the t- at the top of every memo. That this is your mission, but the main reason why you're doing all this is because this platoon needs to make it through the valley. And the reason why they tell everybody the main mission is because they know that stuff doesn't always go as planned. And so platoon number three is going to engage the enemy, but there might be more enemies on the hill than they thought. They might have bazookas. I don't know. They might have stuff that they didn't realize. And suddenly platoon number three is losing, and they're struggling, and they're down to just a couple men. And so platoon number three says, I cannot complete my mission. Therefore, I need to retreat, back off. We need to get out of here. Well, they can't do that because platoon number one is going through the valley. And if platoon three drops out, then platoon one's going to get slaughtered. And so the commander's intent is the overarching mission that everybody is on. All right, we're trying to get platoon one through the valley. And the reason why they tell everybody what's going on, the overarching goal, is so that if you're in the middle of a fight and you're platoon three and you're losing, you know that now your objectives have changed. The goal was to defeat the enemy on the hill. Now, we just got to distract the enemy on the hill. You know what I'm saying? We need, to, we need to run around and dance and shout and hoop and holler, shoot up some fireworks. Just, just keep shooting some fire at them just to keep them busy so they don't notice platoon number one going through the valley. And this is what happens in life, right? Like you get an assignment and you're like, okay, okay, this is, this is my assignment. But then life doesn't happen the way you thought it would. And it looks like you're maybe not going to fulfill your particular assignment. And as a fool, you would just call it off and back off because a fool doesn't have a commander's intent. A fool just has his immediate assignment. But wisdom is to receive the commander's intent from God over your life. That maybe I thought this relationship was supposed to whatever, But just because this relationship is failing, just because this job is failing, just because this this mission that I'm on, this objective right now, is not working out the way I thought that it was, there's still a greater commander's intent over my life. So I can't retreat. I can't back off. I can't step down. I have to adapt and overcome, is what the Marines would say. Adapt and overcome. You can still fulfill the commander's intent for your life. Even when you've made mistakes, even when you've fallen short, even when you've messed some things up, even when you've lost some firepower, even when you've lost some time, even when you've lost some relationships, even when you've lost some opportunities, you can still fulfill the commander's intent over your life. And the way to do this is wisdom continues there in chapter 8, and I'll wrap up with what she says. She says, look, you need to listen, for I will speak excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. Notice she's talking about truth. Excellent things, that means pure. Right things, that means correct. For my mouth will speak truth, because wickedness is an abomination to my lips, and all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find 
knowledge. What is she saying? She's saying, look, uh, as a fool, you're constantly listening to a temp- temporary voice, but I want you to listen to truth. I want you to be honest about where you are. I want you to be honest about what's going on in your life. I want you to be honest about, you know, uh, if, if, if you're engaging the, the guys on the hill, if you're winning or losing, let's, let's, let's be honest about this. How is this working? I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to speak honesty. And if you're willing to receive that, it's going to help you. This is what she says. She says, if you receive my instruction and not silver, so often there's, there's, there's a current, there's a temporary profit that will stop you from an eternal gain. She says, look, look, stop looking for what you can spend right now. Receive my instruction. Receive the commander's intent. Receive the overarching mission of your life. Listen, it's not just about that mission, the uh, current objective that you were on. There's something bigger that you're a part of here. There's something bigger that's happening here. If you receive my instruction and not silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, you will know that wisdom is better than rubies. Wisdom is better than rubies. Now, interestingly enough, in those days, archaeologists tell us that they would not have had rubies. Like, so the original word is not rubies. Uh, that was added by the King James people back a few hundred years ago because rubies are very valuable and rare um, in our culture. But the actual word there is coral, because in those days, coral was very valuable and very rare. Nowadays, you get a whole bunch of coral. The reason why coral was so rare is that coral is developed on the coral reefs, right? <laughs> kind of under the water. Number one, being in the Middle East and being in the desert, they don't have a lot of water, period. But even the water they do have, they didn't have scuba equipment to go down and get the coral. So the way you get coral is you wait for low tide. That's how you get coral. So you camp out on the beach. <laughs> she says, look, wisdom is better than coral. By the way, the, the ancient people believed coral had healing powers and healing uh, 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 things. They would make necklaces out of them and put them on sick people and uh, derive some. And even, even now, coral, some of the chemicals used, the co- compounds used in coral are used in combating AIDS and cancer and things like that. It does have a healing agent in it. And, and she says, look, you, you have to understand that it's not, you're, it's, it's not just going to find it. It's not, you're not going to stumble across it someday. You have to camp out where it is and wait for the opportunity to present itself. Just wait for that window and jump in. All things that one may desire cannot be compared to her. In verse 32, she says, Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Don't hate it. Don't disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, who is watching daily at my gates. <laughs> See how it's turned around. Wisdom was watching daily at our gates. But she's inviting us to come to her city. She don't, she don't live in this city. She says, blessed is the one who comes and hangs out and waits at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Whoever finds me, though, finds life and gets favor from the Lord. In favor, man, like one minute of the favor of God in your life can reverse years of stupidity <laughs> in your life. You can reverse years of, of persecution. Reverse years of, of wrongdoing in your life. 
just this week, uh, we, had a, we had a couple in our church that contacted me last week and said they had a court hearing and uh, they didn't have the money to pay. And so they were looking at serious, looking at jail time. And uh, I said, man, we need to pray for you. So got them, in, got them up front. That's where prayer happens. Prayer doesn't happen out there. Only happens right here. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Primarily happens here is you know after service, and so I mean, God can do anything. Like one moment of favor, God can erase debt. God can erase. God can reverse judgment. God can erase cancer in a moment. It's, just, it's, it's not difficult for Him. Favor is worth more than rubies. You can't. You can't buy. You can't purchase lack of cancer. <laughs> People are trying. You can't. All your money is not going to. But God in one moment can reverse decisions. And so we prayed. And uh, that day, his attorney said, well, he couldn't give you a little more time. And then at the end of the week, didn't quite have enough. He said, I'm going to the judge. I said, all right. He texted me. I said, all right, man, I'm praying. And then I hear back the next morning that the judge smiled and said, that'll be enough. What you got will be enough. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was excited about that. I'm sharing that because that's what favor does. That's what favor, that's what God's favor does. You can, you can pursue money, you can pursue other things, but man, the favor of God, whoever finds wisdom, finds life and receives the favor of the Lord. And it's, and it, and, and, it, and it impacts your everyday life. It impacts your finances. It impacts your relationships. I want the favor of God to be on my marriage. I want the favor of God to be on my kids. I want the favor of God to be on this church. I want the favor of God to be on uh, my finances. I want the favor of God to be in every aspect of my life. Like I want, I want him to, to take my natural, like the natural uh, repercussions and consequences of my dumb decisions. <laughs> and, and I need him to reverse some of those and change some of those. That's what favor does. It, 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 it takes what normally shoulda, coulda, woulda happened and it adjusts it <laughs> and it impacts it and it changes it. Because God's not into just giving us what we deserve. God's not into that. God takes us exactly where we're at and he says, look, you might have been a fool for the past 60 years and there's going to be some consequences to that. Absolutely, definitely. Some people are not going to like you and all that kind of thing. But, but starting today, favor can start to enter into your life. And those relationships can be rebuilt. And it'll take years. It'll take years, but they, they can be rebuilt. They can be re, like stuff can be built back up again. Look, I saw, I saw my grandma step away from cigarettes at 69, right? 69 years old. You're pretty set in your ways. I know 22 year olds who can't break the habit, you know what I'm saying? But 69, she just decided to stop smoking cigarettes. And I smoke cigarettes doesn't send you to hell, but it impacts your health. And so she set them aside. And for 20 more years, she was able to live and to be with her grandkids and see, look, if you start right now, right away, the effects of the past 69 years start going away, start going away. And God helps walk you through exactly what you're going through. The favor of the Lord. I'd like for us to close our eyes for just a minute and let's pray, go to the Lord in prayer. And this is just your altar call today. This is, this is wisdom calling out to you. If you need wisdom, 
if you've been foolish, if you have some foolishness within you, I would just, I would just say that there's an offer on the table for you to receive wisdom and favor from God, for you to receive life. But you're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to depart from evil. You're going to have to depart from the way you've been doing things. And you're going to have to start loving the truth of God's word. You're going to have to fall in love with truth. And truth isn't always going to agree with you. It's not always going to make you feel special. Truth is going to align you with heaven. And so if you'd like to receive that truth, Jesus Christ, who is truth, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you'd like to receive him, would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm receiving 